Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 17th day of May 2013. And today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Bill's story on page 15, and we are starting at the first paragraph, My Wife and I Abandon. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Marge, Twelve Traditions, Lisa, and then Esther, Sharon, Robin, Kim, and Hoodie. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 16th of May, is 4460. 4460. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover, from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Marge from Massachusetts. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Lisa from South Jersey. Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, 
Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. And we're in the chapter Bill's Story And we're on page 15, the first paragraph that begins, My Wife and I Abandon. And I will ask Esther to please begin reading. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. My wife and I abandon ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problems. It was fortunate for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time and was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I have gone to my old hospital and in despair. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. So here we are, Bill's recovered, and he's done his spiritual work, which today we know is the steps. Of course, there were no official steps then. And he's left the hospital, right? He joins his wife, and they're ready to carry the message, um, which would eventually be you know, their life's work. But what's going on here? It looks like life is starting to happen. And I had a similar experience as the one described here. Although I recovered, there was still a lot of life ahead of me, and not everything, I noticed that not everything that I broke could be fixed right away or fixed at all. But I knew, as I'd been taught, that if I expanded my spiritual life, then life would only get better, which of course it did. So I, have, I had a new way of thinking, a new, new attitudes, emotions, and ideas about life. And, and now having recovered, I was to put those new ideas to the test and see that indeed they were a dis- like it describes here, a design for a living that works in all situations and circumstances. And this this is the second part of step 12, practicing these principles in all our affairs. This is um, the part where we, where we um, not just carry the message, but um, expand our, our spiritual life and, and the way we live. And I just wanted to make a comment about his plagues, being plagued by waves of self-pity, which I had too at the beginning. Um, I had, of course, learned how to deal with uh, resentments and fears in my step work. But then, when I went out there into the you know regular world of of, of living, and I found them them coming at me like he describes in the waves, I just did what I had been taught to do, and what the big book teaches is to continue to watch for them, and when they crop up, like it teaches us in step ten, to remove them, and right. The next sentence is, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And I learned that the, added, ad, excuse me, the antidote for 
self-pity, which for me was always about self-centeredness, is to turn around and to help someone else. And I find that if I uh, have ha- having that kind of day and, and, and doing you know my spiritual work, the best thing I could do for myself is to pick up the phone and see if there's someone I could give something to or if it's you know a day where there are meetings, head out to a meeting and say to myself, I'm not leaving this room until I've spoken to you know the newcomers or, or you see what I could do for someone else. It truly is the antidote to self-centeredness is to turn around and to be other-centered, to, to go out and help somebody else. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Lisa from South Jersey. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi again, Monica, everyone. Uh, wow, Esther summed it up so, so clearly. But I love, love, love this, and I just had to chime in. Um when I, you know, this is great because <clears throat> I know for me, I thought, oh, okay, after I recovered, you know, life is not going to be a bed of roses. You know, trials, trials will come. And I love how Bill put this in here. I mean, this is Bill. This is Bill. And he's saying, I was not too well at the time. I was plagued, plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. So it didn't, it didn't let up. He was plagued by it. This stuff happened. Life happens. Things are still going to come. You know, we're going to be happy. We're going to be sad. We're going to be maybe depressed, angry, or whatever. But the great thing, this sometimes nearly drove me back to drink. Nearly. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So there's no ever, there's never any reason to go back and pick up our substance. Yes, life happens, and, and it's not going to be just uh, la da da like what I thought it should be. But you know what? I mean, Esther summed it up so clearly. If we just do what this book tells us to do, we deal with life. And I'm so blessed that I was, am willing to do that today. I'm working with others, and I, you know, it's such a joy to be helping somebody else, that, to know that everything I've gone through in my life can be of use and can be helpful to someone else, and then they can pass it on. And that's the, the beautiful thing about this program. So it's just great, and I, I just had to chime in. I, I don't want to be redundant, um, but it is a design for living that works. It works in rough going no matter what happens. This, the pages in this book give me instruction on how to handle life, and that's such a such a gift and a blessing. I thank God and I thank you for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paul. May I comment? Whoa. Okay. Whoa. I heard Paula. I heard Katie. Um, Kim. Helena. All right. Paula and then Katie. And then we'll go from there. Thank you. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I'm just going to take a small part because I am anxious to hear all. And that top, that line, my wife and I abandoned, they left everything behind, ourselves with enthusiasm. There's what I want to center on, to the idea of helping alcoholics, other alcoholics, to a solution. Where are their problem? I want to look at that word enthusiasm. And what it means is, ah, because it's all the turnaround here, an ecstasy of mind, as if from divine or spiritual influence. That's what Mr. Webster says. Is it not true? That is what we see here. If it had only been his body that had been, had been healed, we've had that many times, but no more. But that word, in ecstasy of mind, as if from divine or spiritual influence, that's what we see working here. And what does he want to do? Keep it to himself. No. Give it away. Thus he keeps it to himself. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Katie, go ahead. Star one, Katie. Okay, sorry. I thought I was um, unmuted. Uh, this is Katie, a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia. Um, 
I love this paragraph. It's to me, it's the birthing of the idea of that we can laugh at ourselves, and that uh, the uh, turning negative things into positive. I mean, there's so many paradoxes in this paragraph. Um, it was fortunate for my old business associate remained skeptical for a year. I mean, if he had focused on that, on the fact that he was unemployable, that everything was so bad in his life that he couldn't even hold a job, he never would have gotten anywhere. But he didn't, you know, and I hear that so much in our rooms of people saying, well, I tried to get asked but then blah, blah, blah happened. And I did that myself, you know. I blamed my circumstances on my inability to stay in this program and to keep working this program. And everything is not rosy for him. It nearly drove him back to drink. He was plagued by uh, waves of self-pity and resentment. I mean, that's pretty serious uh, stuff, and yet he didn't drink. And so, um, you know, working with another uh, person who needs help is not just a, a simple suggestion. I mean, if someone calls you and they are new to this program, pick up the phone. Talk to them for two minutes. You may be saving their life. You may give, be giving them that glimmer of hope that they, you know, never thought was possible. And, you know, I think that our society has gotten so, um, you know, put off and we're so centered on our own little things and we are I everything and, you know, we can just let people go to voicemail and we can, you know, ignore that email to another day. But, you know, this was life and death. And he abandoned himself. He abandoned himself, meaning, you know, I, I, to me, I haven't looked up the word abandoned, but that means um, completely divorcing himself from, you know, his old way of life. He ditched his old way of life, which was self-centered, self-seeking, going nowhere, and he turned to a totally different way of life. And that's what we do in this program. My old ideas are gone. I have to trust this process. If I open myself up to what my higher power has for me today, not my agenda, not my self-pity of everything that's not going my way, not uh, you know what I think should be happening in my life, but whatever God puts in front of me. If that's a newcomer calling me and asking me how, what they should do, I will take some time and talk to them. And, you know, to me, this paragraph also gives me license to be on this line after 25 years of abstinence. It's saying, no, you don't graduate. You don't get to go on with your life and do something completely different. This is my life. And if that scares a newcomer, well, I'm sorry. But I have 23 22 hours in the day that I have freedom and joy and peace because I take the time to work this program and to trust that my higher power is guiding me. And before, I was plagued with food obsession and self-centered fear and self-centered you name it. And you know, these are serious things that he had going on, but it is a design for living that works in rough going. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't walk out of that hospital and suddenly have everything back in order. It doesn't happen. And I'm just so grateful that um, he was humble enough to admit that things were not easy. With that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Kim, go ahead, Kim. Thanks, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Because I abandoned myself with enthusiasm. Talk about a transformation. What is the, there were two things that Bill abandoned himself with enthusiasm before he found this solution. One was to get a drink, and the other was to pursue money. And here he is. He's, he's abandoning himself with enthusiasm about helping others. I mean, what a transformation that is. 
He's saying it's for, it was fortunate he found little work. You know, all that Bill cared about was being on the golf course and, and, and the paper millions and, and being in the jazz club because of all that excitement of the money. And here he is. He's saying, thank you. Thank you, God, for the time to work with alcoholics because I could not find work. What a transformation. And it says this, meaning life. Life sometimes nearly drove me back to drink. But I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with other alcoholics would save the day. And so many of us I hear say, including myself when I was in OA in the beginning was, but what about me? I have to take care of me. I have to learn about self-care, self-preservation, self, self, self. But what do we learn in step four? That selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my trouble. So how am I going to get rid of self? By helping others. By not looking at what I can get out of a meeting, but looking at what I can bring to a meeting. Now, I'm often asked, how do you work step one, two, and three every day? Do I get up in the morning and say, I am powerless. I am coming to believe that I'm making a decision. I do not do that. I wake up every morning as a recovered person and say, God, how can I be useful to you and my fellows? Because that gets me out of self. That decision I made in step three was followed up with the action steps, and it's those action steps that keep me in recovery. So how do I work steps one, two, and three every day? By working with others. I am in this book every day, sponsoring one-on-one, going to meetings and talking about this disease, answering phone calls, initiating phone calls, going to -to face-to-face meetings, speaking at different events. That's how I work one, two, and three. Because by helping others, I reinforce that I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. I am reinforcing that I need a higher power in my life. And I am reinforcing that decision I made to turn my life and my will over to God. Because this is a design for living that works in rough going. Here's a heads up. Life is not going to stop just because we put down the food. Abstinence will not make us feel better. Actually, it will. It'll make us feel anger better. It'll make us feel depression better. It'll make us feel anxiety better. But when we work these steps, we can become recovered and have this experience that Bill is having. But that doesn't mean life goes our way. It means we now have a toolkit that will allow us to live happy, joyous, and free regardless of the circumstances around us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Helena, go ahead. Hi, this is Kathy Compulsive Reader. Walsh here. Uh, Helena is to go next, please. Helena, are you there? And then Kathy. Good morning. This is Helena um, in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, those of those people who know me well here in South Jersey know that I just love page 15 um, because it contrasts so much with page 14, and I need exactly to hear this. So I live in this page and turn people to this page when they call me many, many, many times. Um, the fact that Bill W. was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. Even after he had his mountaintop experience, if I take my finger over from this paragraph and move it back to page 14, I can see the description that I could never, ever identify with. You know, the sense that um, God had come to him, that the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. He had this electric effect of victory and feeling of victory. And I never could identify with that. But when I read page 15, this paragraph that we are on now, plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment, and here was the solution for them, then suddenly I could understand. Where I want to live is on the mountaintop. I always want to feel wonderful. I always want to have that sense of victory. I don't want to be plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. I don't want to be plagued by the certain trials um, and low spots that are ahead that were mentioned in the paragraph just before this. But as has been said so beautifully already by everyone who shared, we will be experiencing life 
the way life is. I will be experiencing myself the way I am. I will be experiencing depression. I will be experiencing doubt and fear, self-pity and resentment, and many other things will happen to me. And I don't want to feel those, but the fact is that I do. And here is the solution. This is not a design for living that works when I'm on the mountaintop. I don't need help when I'm on the mountaintop and feel wonderful. I need help in every day when I am plagued by all these other things. And this is absolutely a design for living that works in rough going. I don't need to be feeling wonderful all the time. I don't need to be considering my own feelings and taking my own emotional temperature day after day, minute after minute. What do I feel like now and what do I do because of how I feel? It's clear here. I am, as Kim said so beautifully, to wake up every morning, as it says in the big book, asking how can I be helpful and uh, turn away from myself. And here's the answer to what we're told in step three, that, you know, there often seems to be no way of entirely getting rid of self without God's help. And here it is, the solution for us. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Kathy, go ahead. Are you there, Kathy? Star one, to unmute. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was um, dinging around with the star one. I'm sorry about that. Hi, this is Kathy, compulsive overeater. And for those of you who are out there, um, you know, the first year, that first year, it was horrible. It was horrible. I had to experience life without my crutch, without my pacifier of life, without my food, and. It was really, really tough, and I can so relate to what Bill is saying. You know, that first holiday meal when you're not binging your brains out, seeing the relatives, the ones that always um, jerk your chain, and not being able to pick up to just numb them out so you didn't hear them anymore. It was really, really tough. But you know what? I got through it. And how did I get through it? Well, I'm going to give you guys a little secret here. If you turn to the chapter titled Working with Others, here's your silver bullet. This is your silver bullet that's going to give you your, your lifetime guarantee. If you do this, you're going to stay recovered. And it says practical experience shows us that nothing so much will ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So what is that? That's the picking up the phone. That's doing all these magical things that everybody talks about all day long to stay sober. It's getting on the phone line and share. It's attending meetings. It's reaching out to the newcomers. It's all those things, and all those things will keep you sober quicker than anything else, and they will keep you in that beautiful, beautiful journey of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Yes, good morning, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I was not too well at the time and plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment that sometimes nearly drove me back to drink. But I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Uh, Plagued meaning bothered, burdened, disturbed, irritated, cursed, afflicted. Um, As been stated previously, um, you know, Bill, although he is recovered, the obsession of the mind has been expelled due to the implementation of the step work that he uh, did. Um, We never rise above being human. So even though he is in a recovered state, he is plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment, admittedly. Um, And, you know, I think it's a great lesson that, uh, you know, we don't rise above being human. To be dictated by your emotions, you're going to be doomed. And everyone around you is doomed. But the program of recovery uh, allows us to live at a more elevated level. Happiness does not depend on having an easier life. Life is not designed to be easy. It is designed to make us great. This program of recovery gives us that opportunity. So what was the antidote? I mean, the suggested antidote to self-centered preoccupation is losing oneself in the work of helping another, and that's exactly what Bill Wilson does. 
he loses himself in the work of helping another person. And, you know, through that process of discipline and through that process of being governed by something higher. I mean, Bill Wilson was able to live better than most other people because he was forced. He was forced to find a principled way to live. He had to in order to recover. It didn't matter what his external conditions were. As was previously noted, he was unemployed for almost a year and a half here. But external conditions were never the remedy for an internal condition called alcoholism or for us compulsive overeating. But he's forced to live a principled way of life. What's that principle that's coming into action now? Well, one of them is service. He was forced to live through these principles in order to to maintain this spiritual level of existence. He has to live better than normal people, and that's true for all of us. The quality of our life, even after <laughs> getting to this point called recovered, the quality of our life is up to us. We have directions on how to do that, and that's steps 10, 11, and 12. And, of course, this is highlighting step 12 here. But to think that, uh, you know, we can be governed by our emotions is, is going to be, you're going to end up on an emotional roller coaster ride every day. But what if you're governed by these principles of the program? If you're governed by the principles of the program, then it is, uh, gives you an opportunity to live better than most. And that's, you know, that's, uh, it is a design for living that works in rough growing. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, if you scratch the surface of any of these recovered people on the line, you'll see that they have met adversity. They have pain in their lives, but they don't complain about it. They don't complain about it. They utilize that pain and adversity to grow closer to God. How does that happen? Through these principles. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, would you read, please? Good morning, Monica. Thank you. Good morning to all on the line. I'm Sharon from Minnesota. Very grateful to be here. We commence to make many fast friends, and a fellowship has grown up among us, of which it is a wonderful thing to fill apart. The joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty. I have seen hundreds of families set their feet in the path that really goes somewhere, have seen the most impossible domestic situations righted, feuds and bitterness of all sorts wiped out. I have seen men come out of asylums and resume a vital place in, their li- in the lives of their families and communities. Business and professional men have regained their standing. There is scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. In one Western city and its environs, there are 1,000 of us and our families. We meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship they seek. At these formal gatherings, one may often see from 50 to 200 persons. We are growing in numbers and power. So it's still growing. The the, um, thing that jumped out of me when I read it this time is this The first sentence, we commits to make many fast friends and a fellowship has grown up among us, of which it is a wonderful thing to feel a part. And I thought, oh my gosh, for years, I always, even if I was with people, I didn't feel a part of. Even when I was laughing and looking like I was having a great time, I still did not feel a part. And I can tell you that I seriously and sincerely feel a part of this fellowship. I'm comfortable. Now, I am not always comfortable in my own skin because I'm still growing and I still have some of the old stuff that I'm 
have that keeps that comes up and I have to work through and I recognize that I still have some things I need to deal with but regardless of how I feel inside when I am with my fellows I feel a part of them for the first time in my life and so many people say I felt like I had come home because even in my family of origin I don't feel as comfortable at peace and accepted as I do in the rooms of of this fellowship. I want to say something else and point and 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 mention something else that I just find amazing and fascinating. Who would ever have thought that I where I had come from when I first started this program not able to stop eating the Oreo cookies not really able to properly take care of my my family, just really very physically ill, being told that the physical ailments I would not recover from. Yet I started seeing improvement within a couple of weeks of having started on my on my journey to recovery. Who would have thought that I would be in a place where I could see others recover from even worse maladies and situations in their lives than I. I have been privileged to be a part of the lives of people who have recovered from situations that are unimaginable. Their physical body so wrecked and ravished by this disease Yet, if you see them today, you wouldn't even know they'd ever been there. You see the picture, you see the person, and you cannot match the two together. I have been privileged to see that. I have been privileged to work with sponsees that were on the brink, that were on the brink of losing everything. Yet today they live live happy lives. I've I've had I've worked with sponsees and and I sit in awe because not only does their life recover, I've been able to be privileged to hear about the lives of their children being restored. Now I just find that amazing. And and just the level of recovery that we get to be witness to. And my only hope is that one day we can have cities where a thousand, I believe we have that here in the Twin Cities, where there are 1,000 of us in our families. I do believe we have that. I just pray that we get more. He says we are growing in numbers and power. Power. We are growing in numbers and power. I believe that's happening through this phone. And I hope that each one of us on the phone is that spark that creates, the that is a part of creating with others a community around us that grows and grows because there is such great need out there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Helena. May I share? Go ahead, Helena. Um, So I just am struck by, in particular, one line in this, and there's so much that could be, uh, I'm sure will be discussed. But what I want to talk about is the very bottom of page 15. We meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship they seek. And there is a description in the beginning of this paragraph of how the fellowship comes from working the steps and from helping others. But what strikes me about this sentence, we meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship they seek, is that once again, the focus is not on me, on meeting what I think is my needs and my wants. You know, I don't go to a meeting because it makes me feel good. I don't go to a meeting so I can get, so I can get, so I can get. The point is that I am my my whole life now is based on helping others. 
years, even going to a meeting. It's not a question, again, as I said, of taking my emotional temperature. Do I feel like going to a meeting? Will I get something from it now? No, but is there someone there that I can help? Can I help by sharing? Can I help by being counted among the numbers there? And uh, once again, it reminds me so much of how my focus changes and how it is only possible to keep this program if my focus has changed from being self-absorbed to being totally focused on asking God how I can be helpful to God and to others. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. I'd like to, you can take this line by line, but I'm going to take this line. The joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty. Honey, there's no guarantee here. Life is going to go on. People die. Divorces happen. Separation. That's that's life. Jobs are lost. Many, many different things. But it goes back to, can it really be true? The joy of living we really have. Honey, there it is. You're living. You're living life as it is. This is the reality of life, and there is still joy that you are a part of it. And you can add something. See, I always wanted to take from. And that's where I was always hitting that wall. And I was always going nowhere. And it says clearly, going somewhere. That's enough of me. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment? This is Robin. Robin, go ahead. Morning, this is Robin. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. <clears throat> um, I love I love the part uh, fellowship has grown up among us, of which it is a wonderful thing to feel a part. Um, I know now that the reason uh, what happened to me in the very beginning was that there was the, this huge disconnect that I disconnected from the whole world. Um, in fact, I don't know if I was ever connected to the world from from day one, and what the solution for me has been is reconnecting. Um, I thought that I just had a problem eating. <laughs> I thought that's what I, that was all it was, but that wasn't the problem. That was the that was the symptom of the problem. The problem was the fact that I had um, completely set myself apart from the world and from my higher power. I was living alone in a little cave and thinking that that was the way um, I was supposed to live to protect my secrets, you know, starting to protect my family secrets when I was young. And then as I grew older, protecting the secrets of my inability to um, to function, to fit in, to look like what I thought I should look like, um, to compare to you. So, So there was this huge disconnect. And what this program does is it connects us again, or for the first time, it started for me by connecting me with people. And then from there, my connection with my higher power um, stepped in and, and took over the whole shebang. You know, I became connected with my higher power. I became connected with God, with the spirit of the universe, with the world. Um, and and that, for me, has been the thing that has turned this whole thing around is that there's no being alone in the world anymore. I belong to the human race. I belong to you. I belong to this society. Um, and and that, that right there is what opens up all of the rest of this, that I can authentically feel the joy of living, even in hard times. Um, I can watch people come in to our program. As it says here, I've seen men come out of asylums and resume a vital place in the lives of their families and communities. I get to witness that. I get a front row seat. And when I see it happen to you, it reinforces in me that even in hard times, even in sad times, I'm still moving forward because I can see that you're moving forward too. If I'd stayed in my cave and continued to be disconnected, I wouldn't have witnessed any of that. And it keeps me on track to see that you all are doing okay too. Um, With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I did not hear your name. Carolyn. Carolyn? Yes. 
Go ahead, Carolyn. Hi, this is Carolyn, recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. This is so beautiful to me. It's telling me that I need to be in a fellowship. In order to keep what I have, I have to give it away. It takes me out of self because self is what got me into this boat in the first place. It was all about being in self. And the realization of having other addictions besides food was so clear to me when I completed my steps. And it was all because I was going from one addiction to another in order to seek the comfort that I was looking for instead of seeking the spirituality of my life, which was my soul. And in healing my soul and in working on my spirituality and building it and creating it to what it is today, and it still grows. Every day it grows more. Just as I think it can't get any better, it gets better. And being able to disconnect from, I'm not, not from reality, but being able to not live in the problem, but living in the solution, that's the beauty of it. Living in the solution and being able to pass that information on to other people that don't know how to do it yet. That's what keeps me recovered. Giving back what I've so generously been given. Giving it back is what it's all about for me. And, you know, the way it continues on and it says, there is scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. And that's so true. There are situations in every one of our lives, you know, that that happens. Life happens on life's terms, not on my terms. And all I have to do is be willing to accept what's going on and give to others what God has given to me. And that's my recovery. That's what I can give others is what they're seeking, my recovery. It's so beautiful, and it's so perfectly clear. I used to think that I was going to meetings for myself, and today I truly believe that I'm going to meetings for the newcomer. And when I share at a meeting, I make sure I am sharing about the big book and how it's worked for me in my life, about the 12 steps and how the only way I can live is by using them every single day of my life and about my spirituality. The only way I could get any of it was to build a spiritual basis for myself, wherever it may be for the newcomer, to help them see that they do not have to believe the same way I believe, but we can come together because we have something common. And that's how I can help others. We don't have to have the same beliefs, but we do have to have that commonality, which is compulsive overeating. We can relate to each other on that level. And that's where I can help you see how, for me, it was all about working the rest of the program. And it doesn't matter how long it took me to get there. What matters is I got there. And I persevered until I got there because some of us are slower learners than others. And you know what? That's okay, too. That's truly okay, too. doesn't matter. It's all in time so long as you're willing to be open to hear. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here. Um, This paragraph for me is I'm seeing and hearing and reading a lot, a lot of hope. You know, run off the first sentence, we commence to make many fast friends and a fellowship. What's a fellowship? Friendship. Sharing similar interests, ideals, or experiences. You know, I was lonely and I didn't have friends when I came into this place. I was isolating. I was trying to do it all myself and it did not work. Today, I have a fellowship I can share with all of you. We're all in the same boat together. And it gives me a lot of hope. And it should give you hope, too. The joy of living. Now, how do we get that joy of living? It's called working the steps. It's called trusting and relying and depending on God. And working these steps, cleaning our house, 
and then living steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. Um, I have seen men come out of asylums and resume a vital place in their lives, of their families and communities. What hope here? Totally, completely, um, people at the bottom of the barrel. They had lost everything. Their families, their lives, their work, everything. And they were committed to a sane asylums. There was absolutely no hope for them. Can you imagine being one of those persons? Being put away in an insane asylum? But here we're being given a lot of hope. These people were able to recover. They were able to come back out and be useful people again. And how was that? It was by working through these steps, trusting and relying on God, cleaning house and helping others. And like we've been reading in the paragraph before and now, helping others. You know, when we help others, it gets us out of ourselves. Well, you might be saying, well, I'm new and I'm still suffering and how can I be a help to somebody else? It can be as easy as saying a prayer for somebody. You know, when you're praying for somebody else, it's getting you out of your own head. Um, And then it says that these informal gatherings, one may often see from 50 to 200 persons. Well, let me tell you, we have over 200 people on this line this morning. Yeehaw! And let's move on to the next paragraph. We're going to try to finish this uh, chapter here this morning. So, um, Robin, would you read the next couple of paragraphs, please? Sure. This is Robin, a, a recovered compulsive overeater. An alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. Our struggles with them are variously strenuous, comic, and tragic. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. Oh, yes, we are unlovely, (laughs) the things I've seen. And um, after seeing them, I've realized that uh, they're but for the grace of God. Actually, I was that unlovely creature, absolutely. Um, The beauty is that, you know, the words here are, the words he uses are comic and tragic. Um, When you're living in the solution, as tragic as some of of our stories may seem, um, they're not hopeless. There is so much hope in in this program, in what we do. And um, when I, you know, I think back on the relationships I have with people now and the, the things that we talk about, and the really glorious thing about this program is that we talk about this stuff now. I mean, I have had some of the most hilarious conversations with my friends in program about some of the very unlovely things we did in the past. And we can talk about them because we share them in common. It takes away the the tragedy of it because when you don't live in the problem anymore um it's easier to look at those things and see there there's not the drama um i don't feel the the drama and the sadness that i used to feel when i was living in the the problem the way i was back then um and you know the the fact that i get to share these experiences um, these memories with my with my friends. This is the connection that we're talking about. This is the fellowship that we're talking about in these these three paragraphs that we've been reading about. That forges um, a safety net that allows me to face the hard things of life, to face the um, sometimes hard work of applying these steps to my life situations. But there's there's company doing it. There's company and it can be a lot of fun. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Nancy. Can I share? Go ahead, Nancy. Hey, grateful to be here. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Vision, for you. Um, wow. You know, what I've heard in the last couple of paragraphs and what I've on the meeting this morning is about the transformation that happens. And I just wanted to share a little bit because I sit here and shake my head. Um, when I think of, when I reflect on my own changes that have happened just in the last five months. When I first 
uh, I came back after I've been around the rooms a long time, like a lot of people shared. And when I came back this time after a relapse, I couldn't, um, I couldn't stay in my own house by myself because I didn't trust myself not to pick up my trigger food. I didn't know what to do. I was afraid that I had passed that point where I was going to be able to come back this time. And I mean, I literally, I was miserable. I called sometimes 10 to 15 people a day because just staying on the phone talking to someone helped me. And many of you people on this line picked up when I called and all I could do was cry. I was full of self-pity. I was angry. I was like, I don't know what to do. And I didn't. I didn't know what to do. But not just what I've experienced in this five months, but most of what I've experienced in this five months is what has done it. Because what has done it is I finally heard when you, um, when this group started reading a doctor's opinion, I finally heard that I can't just have my only focus on abstinence. That's what my focus was. I believed what I was told, and that is that abstinence is the most important thing in my life today, no matter what. Uh, my relationship with God today is the most important thing in my life today, no matter what. I kept saying I'm weak in the spiritual part of this program. I just I just struggle with the spiritual part of this program. And I hear Kim, I think, is the one who says it all the time. This is a spiritual program. There is no spiritual part. And so I can't be weak in that part. I have to put the food down, and then I've got to get to work. And what has happened is I am recovered. I am working with other compulsive overeaters. I am working with other people in another fellowship. I am doing service. I am helping to organize a big book study and a step study coming up in July. I'm like going, are you kidding me? And I do it with joy. I get up at 4.15 in the morning, partly because I'm going to go to the gym at 5, but I don't have to get up that early to go to the gym at 5. I get up a little bit earlier so I can catch this meeting. Um, I, my friend that turned me on to this meeting, I used to think, oh my gosh, he's on the phone at that time of the morning every day and stays on the phone for two hours. I'm like, you betcha I do because it has woken me up. I have had a spiritual transformation and my life is different today. Yeah, I have problems. Oh my gosh, I've got financial problems. I've got living problems, but I keep showing up and I keep surrendering it, and God keeps showing me the next right thing to do. And right now that's working with other people, and that's keeping my side of the street clean and making sure my relationship with him is right. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing journey, and I know we're running out of time, so I'm not going to keep going, but I could talk and talk and talk about the transformation because um, once that spiritual experience happens, your life is never going to be the same again. So hold on for the right of your life. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy. Kim, would you go ahead and finish up the chapter, please? Okay. Oh, um, okay. There is, however, a vast amount of fun in it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming worldliness and levity. But just underneath, there is a deadly earnestness. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. Most of us feel we need to look no or utopia. We have it with us right now, here and now. Each day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself by a circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And it's eight o'clock. You just want to end the meeting then or No, go ahead. We're gonna we're gonna go a few minutes extra here. Let's finish this. Okay, I'll I'll be real brief then. Good morning everyone again. Um you know, faith has to work hours a day in and through us or we perish. You know, we don't have the luxury of coming together, as Nancy was saying, this two hours in the morning and then going out and wreaking havoc on the rest of the world. We are forced to live this program 24 hours a day. I am forced to have these principles be in the forethought of my mind. Now, the rewards are wonderful. The rewards are wonderful, but for faith, meeting God to me, God has to be on my mind 24 hours a day, in and through me. And the way that God works through me is because I've emptied myself of self with those action steps so that the God within me can come through me and help others. So we are reminded at the end of this story that Bill, who tried to get sober and then would pick up and sober would get picked up, because he would go back to those ways that of selfishness and self-centeredness and I need to get money and people need to do what I want them to do and I have to force myself so I can get my share. If I don't do it, who's going to get, how am I going to get my share? And this new way of life that we have is a 24 hours a day. When we hear one day at a time, 
it doesn't mean one day at a time I'm going to be abstinent. One day at a time I'm going to white knuckle it. One day at a time I'm going to beat the food. It means we put the food down, we work these steps, we become recovered, and we live this program one day at a time because I can't take yesterday's spirituality into today. And I can't take tomorrow's spirituality and use it today. So one day at a time, which you hear so often in here, is because we have to work this program 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish without a path. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this? Good morning. This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. A lot of material here. I'll just touch on a couple of things. It says, I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming worldliness and levity. Levity, of course, meaning lack of seriousness. But just underneath, there is deadly earnestness. Um, You know, in my old uh, home group, Wednesday night home group in Minneapolis, I used to joke, you know, to the newcomers that would call me uh, to find out about the location that I don't need to give you the uh, room number uh, located in this church. Just follow the laughter. Follow the laughter. Uh, and that will be the OA room. Um, but, uh, you know, it wasn't the laughter that brought me into Overeaters Anonymous and and uh, compelled me to work this program as if my life depended on it. It was, it was the tears. It was that desperation. It was the pain of my existence. Um, and I love to laugh. I absolutely love to laugh with my fellows. But underneath there is deadly earnestness, meaning, um, you know, the program of recovery doesn't enhance my life. The program of recovery is my life. The program of recovery, uh, as we wrap up Bill's story here, the program of recovery allowed Bill to have a quality of life that he never had before. Uh, and I can say the same for myself. You know, I believe that I have a better life today than I could ever have had had I never had the illness. Because one of the strange things about compulsive overeating is that though it's a fatal disease for you and I, it might be a slow death, but it, it is terminal, it's fatal, it's possible to come out of it in better shape than when you first realized you had it. And what makes that possible and what made that possible for Bill and all those who pen these pages is the spiritual experience that is taught in this big book. It says faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. I mean, the whole problem of Bill had been this faulty dependence, this trust, reliance, and dependency on himself, self-sufficiency, on money, on status. On, in pursuit of accomplishment. But what happened through the program of recovery is that self-centered existence was uh, transformed to a God-centered existence. So the trust, reliance, and dependency becomes on God. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. Or we perish. I mean, it's so true. You know, life is difficult. That's just a reality. Life is going to be difficult. There's going to be trials and tribulations. But what am I going to do with that life? The program of recovery enables, enables us to match calamity with serenity. And, of course, I mean, there's so much here. It says, each day my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. I mean, this is speaking about um, the fact that, you know, those of us recovered that are recovered have a message to carry, and that's exactly what Bill did. Bill spent the rest of his life trying to help other alcoholics, trying to help the fellowship of AA grow by leaps and bounds, which it did. And it grew by leaps and bounds because of two primary reasons. Number one, people got sober and they stayed sober. This was a message of hope. And number two, they began to live useful and meaningful lives. So Bill had a message to carry. 
That simple talk was the message that he carried during all that period of time he managed to stay sober and recovered. And when he went to see Dr. Bob, he didn't just go to see Dr. Bob to sober up Dr. Bob. He went to see Dr. Bob to keep Bill Wilson from drinking. So if it worked for Bill Wilson in those days and for the rest of Bill Wilson's life, then surely it works for us today that we continue to carry this message, a very specific message, that there is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. How is that possible? Through the spiritual awakening that is available through the implementation of these steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared, and we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Hoodie, can you read a vision for you, please? Certainly. Good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, compulsive reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.